For the 19th year in a row, the Seattle Mariners have missed the playoffs. However, unlike most of those prior 18 seasons, they've got hope now. They've got a future. They've got guys they can rely on for years to come, a dynamic center fielder who's about to become a serious star in Kyle Lewis, and a wide net of prospects that even if they are met with some awful luck, there should be enough talent there to at least put them into relevance, which is more than they can say for most of the last couple of decades. There's serious hope in Seattle. In fact, I think they're in a better position than any of the other 13 teams that missed the playoffs. So why don't you come in and give us a listen, find out why the Mariners have reason to be excited moving forward. Ethan's up all night. And covering all his bases. From South San Francisco, California, this is Nocturnal Sports with Ethan Castle. And maybe the biggest positive surprise on the offense was Dylan Moore, who last year was notable for just playing a bunch of positions, but making a bunch of errors, including one where he tried to throw home on a grounder to short, but the catcher wasn't covering home. And instead he just threw to an empty home plate and which is kind of a good summary of what happened to the Mariners after that 14 and two start. Well, he delivered at the plate when he was healthy, He missed a lot of September injured, but, Boy, when he was in the game, he was doing some big things with the bat, especially in the power department. The bullpen is a work in progress, but that's something that can be built on the fly very quickly. And they did actually have a couple of encouraging pieces there. Most notably, you know, when he was healthy, Carl Edward Jr. was pretty good. And Yoshihisa Hirano really seemed to put it back together rather than looking like a guy who you know, came over from Japan pretty late in his career to begin with and wasn't all that great. He was okay with the Diamondbacks, kind of fell off a bit last year, but really pieced it back together this year. Other than his final outing of the season on Sunday when the A's knocked him around a bit, he had a pretty nice go of it. And he got a very late start because of COVID really hampering him. But until these last couple outings, he was really shoving. So they've got something to start with there, although there's still going to be some building needed in the bullpen. Also, Justice Sheffield seemed to really start to break out, looking like one of the better lefties to to back up Gonzalez. In a lot of rotations, Sheffield probably has the stuff to be the best lefty. And in terms of body type and delivery, obviously not the same talent level, but he reminds you a little bit of Johan Santana. And they sold unbelievably high on Austin Nola. Got a nice return for him. There were a couple other pieces involved as well going to the Padres in the form of guys like Taylor Williams and Dan Altavilla and Austin Adams, but they were able to get a top outfield prospect in Taylor Trammell out of it, a promising catcher who's got some experience and rough numbers because he was exposed to the big leagues at such a young age as a Rule 5 guy in Luis Torrens, Ty France, and that they were able to turn Nola, who was a career minor leaguer until last year, was you know a minor league free agent signing, into anything is incredible. But what wasn't so good? Well, Malik Smith got outrighted off the roster. Daniel Vogelback got DFA'd. J.P. Crawford, he started pretty well and had a good final series, but everything in the middle, those you know 30 to 40 games in the middle were pretty rough. Again, Evan White's strikeout numbers were really bad, and second base was an issue until Ty France came along. Shed Long was not really providing much there, so maybe France is the solution. 
and then you work in Dylan Moore at DH or something, but the pieces of a core are here. Now just get like a league average bullpen. And you're talking about a team that's going to be starting to make some noise in the playoff hunt, you know, starting to push for a wild card spot. And maybe as guys continue to come up, as Jared Kalanick joins the fold, as a couple of these prospects get involved, like Logan Gilbert, maybe all of a sudden you're talking about a team that can compete for a division title, which hasn't happened for the Mariners in a really, really long time. You know, even if that bullpen is, you know, you sign an aging Joaquin Soria, who I'm going to use as an example a lot because he's not going to wow you that much at this point in his career, but he's all right at worst and solid setup slash closer option at best. And he's going to be on the market. So he comes to mind quickly. Just get a couple of dudes like that and like Tony Watson. And all of a sudden you've got at least an acceptable bullpen instead of just an outright bad one. Teams can't go up against you with the idea of, hey, the moment we get the starter out of the game, we feast, so let's just get the starter's pitch count up and not worry about the results against them as long as we can make them throw a lot of pitches. And all of a sudden, you'd be talking about a team that's really in position to actually get into the playoffs finally. All right, as for five guys, first up, Braden Bishop from St. Francis High School in Mountain View and the University of Washington. His brother Hunter was the Giants' first overall pick in 2019, taken, I believe it was 10th overall in the entire draft. With his mom's passing, he has been really vocal about Alzheimer's awareness. The Four Mom Foundation is his work. Very impactful in the community. See some parallels there to the impact Stephen Piscotti has had with research and awareness for ALS. Bishop did not do a ton at the plate, but looks pretty good defensively. He went 5 for 30 with 2 walks and 10 strikeouts. Next up, Aaron Fletcher. The Mariners acquired Fletcher and Taylor Gilbo in 2019 when they sent Rowanis Elias and Hunter Strickland to the Nationals. He gave up 4 runs in 2 thirds of an inning against the Angels on August 29th, and he gave up 2 runs in 1 third of an inning against the Rangers on September 7th. His other outings were fine, but those two really bad ones left him with a 12.46 ERA in four and a third innings. Which, you know, like I've said about a thousand times during this whole special, is the fun of very, very small sample sizes. Also, throwing exactly the same number of walks and strikeouts to have matching strikeout and walk rates of 24.1, which that's an incredibly high walk rate and a decently high strikeout rate. But again, that's the fun of small sample size theater. And when you only pitch in four and a third innings, you can have a lot of fun with things like that. Sam Haggerty, drafted by the Indians, traded in 2019 along with Walker Lockett for Kevin Plowecki. That put him on the Mets. Now, though, he is back with Walker Lockett with the Mariners. He played in September 2019 for the Mets, claimed by the Mariners in January. He went 13 for 50 with his first Major League homer and looked like a decent utility piece, getting a couple of outfield starts, but then he strained his forearm. And that was that for him this year, unfortunately. Next up, Brady Lale. One of the best spoonerisms in the game, because you can call him Lady Braille. You know, it's no Buck Farmer, but it's pretty good. Last year, he made one appearance for the Yankees. 
This year, he made one appearance for the White Sox, but then made his way via DFA to the Mariners and came up on August 10th. He had two really bad outings, but still managed to finish with a 480 ERA in 15 innings. In the September 8th game in San Francisco against the Giants, he had to come in after LJ Newsom got hurt and gave up four runs in two and two-thirds, let the Giants back into that game. San Francisco ended up winning it. And on September 14th, with the smoke doubleheader, he gave up three and four innings against the A's. But other than that, he was actually pretty good. And best of all, he actually got to make multiple appearances for a team before the FA or anything. And finally, a guy I've got a bit of a personal story on is Jimmy Yakabonis. Great name. Pitched for the Orioles last year. So I actually met Jimmy Yakabonis. I was with my friend Ryan Blake at Bubs at the Ballpark just down the street from Petco Park after the Orioles-Padres game late in July of 2019. And Jimmy walks in with his family, who would come out from the East Coast, you know, get a trip to San Diego, watch your boy pitch. Not a bad way to spend a few days. And Ryan recognized him right away because Ryan was on the clubhouse staff in AA Bowie and was going to, you know, go up to Jimmy, reintroduce himself. And before he could, Jimmy came over and said hi and like totally remembered Ryan and just seemed really neat. He only made a couple of appearances, pitched a clean inning on September 9th against the Giants. He was the opener in the second game of the Smoke doubleheader against the A's on September 14th. He gave up one run and walked three guys over the course of an inning and a third. Just from that personal experience, though, he's always going to be a guy I root for. So what's the outlook for the 2021 Mariners? As I said, really promising, really good. There are a couple of bullpen pieces away from having a team that's at least going to compete for a wild card spot. Maybe they're still a year away. Maybe this year they were a year away from being a year away. But for a team that was pegged to be just objectively terrible, and the only hope is to see Kyle Lewis develop instead, they really had a few pleasant surprises like Dylan Moore, and they did have Lewis continue to develop, and they managed to flip Austin Nola for some big pieces. And all of a sudden, you've got a real pipeline, you know, and even if Julio Rodriguez takes a long time to develop, between Kellenic and Trammell coming, you look like you've got the pieces of a real outfield. You've got a strong defensive shortstop who can sometimes produce at the plate in J.P. Crawford. Kyle Seeger's still churning along, doing his thing. Ty France was a nice piece to add to the solution at second base, along with Dylan Moore. Evan White can get it done with the glove, and if he just stops striking out, he's going to really, really, really impact things positively for the Mariners. And the bullpen's quick to fix. And between guys like Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn starting to emerge, maybe Dunn's back the rotation guy, but he's a guy you wouldn't mind having out there every fifth day if he looks like the guy he showed he was in a couple of those starts against the Rangers. If he pitches to that level regularly, you know, he'd be a top-of-the-rotation guy, but let's also remember the Rangers have the worst offense in all of baseball. So, you know, take things with a grain of salt there. Just like if if a guy, you know, gets shelled by the Dodgers, you think, oh, all right, you know, consider the quality of competition. Just like you shouldn't get too high if a guy lights up the Rangers, just carves them up and takes them to town over the course of six or seven innings of one run ball. But the point is, there are pieces there. Most of the guys who struggled for the Mariners are not going to be there long-term. Guys like Malik Smith, you know, their catcher at bats, other than Nola, mostly went to Joe Hudson and Joseph Odom. 
you could ask, hey, if Tom Murphy was healthy, would that have been a couple more wins that they needed to get to the playoffs? I would say not necessarily because it would have taken at-bats from NOLA, and there's no saying Tom Murphy would have been able to replicate what he did last year. But that the Mariners can ask questions like, you know, what if Tom Murphy was healthy? Could that have turned us into a playoff team? Which is especially amazing when you consider that Murphy got beaten out by Eric Kratz for the backup catcher job to start last season in San Francisco. The Mariners are getting to the point where the problems they're having are good ones to have rather than bad ones. And pretty soon, losing a game to the Mariners is not going to be a how the hell did we lose to these guys. It's getting to the point where losing to these guys is going to be a pretty common thing because they're a pretty good baseball team. They're coming along. Even if they have absolutely awful Mariners luck and a bunch of the prospects get hurt and just never really get their opportunity like Danny Holtzen and some of them just bust like Jesus Montero or like Dustin Ackley, the list goes on. The fact is the talent pool is now deep enough and wide enough that at the very least, they will be able to put together a team that's going to end this playoff drought sooner or later. Even worst case scenario, at the very least, they're going to make the wild card within the next couple of years. So the Mariners probably have more to be excited about out of a sub-500 season than any of the other non-playoff teams. And in fact, if a couple of these lesser playoff teams do go out quickly, they could probably look at their season more favorably than some of those teams that did reach the postseason, which is kind of a crazy scenario, especially considering the length of the Mariners' drought. But that's the power of expectations and putting things into the big picture. First baseman. When you look at the 2020 non-playoff teams, there are three measures that can determine if the year was successful despite not making the postseason. One, what were your expectations entering the season? Two, were your weaknesses in areas that can easily be patched up so that they become strengths next year and beyond? And three, did you get your heart stomped out in the most painful fashion possible? If the answer to number two is yes, the answer to number three is no, and the answer to number one is that your expectations weren't high, then you had a successful year. And the Seattle Mariners check off all three of those boxes. As much as they can get ridiculed for still having their playoff drought in a year when the Marlins made it, in a year when the White Sox and Padres made it, the fact is 2020 was a pretty well-rounded success for the Seattle Mariners. First off, they seem to have the young core really moving along nicely. Kyle Lewis, despite striking out a ton, which is totally passable in this day and age, he also walks a lot. He's got big power. He can rob home runs. He's a plus defender. He's got high energy. He's got a lot of swagger. He's the type of guy you like having as the face of a franchise and fits in in an outfield that really hasn't had that sort of guy with that sort of personality since Ken Griffey Jr. Yes, Ichiro was an outfielder there too. I'm not overlooking Ichiro, but two wildly different people in terms of what they convey and to have a guy like Lewis, who's starting to draw some comparisons, obviously not on that talent level because Griffey was just on another planet entirely, but as, you know, an upper echelon center fielder on both the offensive side of things and what he does in the field, that's a pretty good place to start. 
Marco Gonzalez looks like a front-of-the-rotation guy. He's not just a soft-tossing lefty. He really gets a lot of swings and misses, gets a lot of strikeouts, and induces weak contact. Evan White is an exceptional defender at first base, would probably be the best defensive first baseman around, if not for one, Matt Olson. He struck out a ton this year, but at the same time showed off some of the power, and as the walk numbers continue to go up, he's going to be in really good shape. Just got to cut those strikeout numbers down a little bit from the 41.6% that they were. If you could just get that down to like 30-ish, maybe the high 20s, it would be enough to get him into the conversation as a really impactful This has been Nocturnal Sports with Ethan Castle. Now, Ethan's off to edit this episode. Well, that was true at the time it was recorded. If you're listening to it now, all of the post-production work is obviously complete. He's probably busy organizing his collection of colonial-era scrimshaw, or playing backyard baseball at twitch.tv slash Ethan R. Castle, or sleeping. Most likely sleeping.